Amen. If you would please have a seat. Thank you again for being here uh, this past week. Um, again, thanks for all of you who helped out with VBS and served. Um, I was only able to catch the last night. Uh, my dad surprised us a, a couple weeks ago with the opportunity to go uh, with him and my stepmom to Tennessee. So we were Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg and that kind of area up there. So we had a great time. Um, on the way back, now, um, we're, we're shopping for a new van. So if you know any great deals out there, let me know. Um, but we're shopping for a new van. So I rented a van uh, to drive up because once you go from um, – uh, once you go from man-to-man parenthood, that's, that's when the number of parents match the number of children to zone. Uh, you're covering more area than what you're, you're, you're allotted to. We, we play zone at my house. We have three kids and two parents. Once you go to zone, you have to have a van or a school bus or something like that. It's, you, don't, you don't go out of town in anything small anymore. And so we rented a van to go up there. and uh, Driving back, uh, getting very close to Greensboro, everything's gone super smooth. And right then, all of a sudden, pow, front windshield, rock, bird. It could have been an eagle. I don't know. It just, it was loud, and I started seeing the cracks go and grow. And I'm like, I'm watching them going, which one's going to go the farthest? You know, it's kind of like a little competition with all the cracks in the windshield and stuff. Fortunately, they all stopped, which I was excited for because, you know, at 70 miles an hour, that's not the greatest thing in the world to see cracks in your windshield. So I take the rental car back, and I get there, and I have that, you ever have one of those temptation moments? Like you really want to do the right thing, but people sometimes just want to make you do the wrong thing. I got there, and, and, and I parked the rental car, and this nice lady comes up to me, and she grabs the keys, scans the window. She said, all right, great, everything looks fantastic, have a nice day. Lord, is this a sign? Do you want me to just to leave right now? Do I, just, you, you, you're going to heal the windshield, aren't you, Lord? You're going to heal it when it goes back to be washed, and, and I don't need to say anything. I said there, I was like, no, nah, I, need, I need to talk to this lady. So I said, excuse me, ma'am, I said, I need to um, let you know something. I had a big rock hit or something, boulder it may have been, I don't know, um, hit the windshield, and it's cracked. I said, you know, I, I get it's not your fault. It's not technically mine, but I, I rented it, so I'm responsible. So she said, okay, well, you know, there's some insurance information and stuff we need. So I'm like, okay, let's start this process, and we go. Well, the manager comes over to me. And uh, I told the guy, I said, listen, man, I said, I don't, I don't mean to kind of, I'm not trying to critique anybody's job. I said, but, uh, I mean, you know, I was feeling a little proud of myself. I was being honest, right? I said, you know, I, I really feel like I probably could have just left this place and it would have been your word against mine. Like I could have just claimed somebody threw a hammer at the car. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know what you people, I don't know how you people wash them. And he looks at me, he's like, oh, no, 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 we would have caught you. They caught me. You, you don't need to catch me. I didn't do anything wrong. He's like, no, we, he said, there's, there's a lot of people like you who just try to get by with, oh, people like me. Oh, we're going to stereotype now. Let's go. Here we are, miss, you know. So we start this conversation, and this manager is just getting a major attitude with me. He's like, well, you know, we're going to need to ke- collect a couple hundred dollars for your deductible. I don't have a $200 deductible on a broke windshield. What are you talking about? Like, collect $200. And this guy's, I mean, like, he's... Like, I'm thinking either I've ruined his life or he's going to ruin mine. I don't know which way it's going to go yet. And I noticed there's a lady that he's also working with that's over to my left. And I'm just, I'm nosy. So I just listened in on their conversation because I'm like, well, I know what I'm dealing with. What's she dealing with? Because honestly, my first, my first notice was she seemed to be getting her way. They were saying things to her like, um, is there anything we can do on your account as a credit? So I'm like, well, what's going on with her that she's getting some good treatment? 
And, and I listened in, and, and these were her complaints. Her number one complaint. Uh, she had never evidently driven a hybrid car, and, and she was complaining because the car was too quiet. What kind of complaint is that? It's like, you know, you just have a baby. I don't know, this really is my child. They're sleeping way too much. I mean, what, what, what kind of complaint is that? She, she was aggravated because evidently there was a screen that would say, like, your car is on or something. She said, well, I, I didn't like having to be told that. <laughs> Who are you and why, is, why are people offering you money and wanting to take it from me when I don't even owe it? I mean, at this point, I'm looking at this guy, I'm like, man, your perspective is just broken. Like, you have a broken perspective on this whole situation. She took, and this was her words. I've rented cars all my life. I've never had to fill one up before I brought it back. Who are you renting cars from? <laughs> and, and he said, well, you know what, man? We're just going to forget about that tank of gas. Really? Because I stopped a mile up the road and I filled my tank. Can we forget about that one too? So I'm just, I'm frustrated. So, so I, I'm just, like, I am, I am focused and I just want to... Um, complain. I'm a pretty good complainer. I don't know how good you are at it. I can pretty much guarantee you you're not to the professional level that I am. In fact, if you don't like something about your life, if you ever just took me with you and just shared some details about it, I could put into words all the amazing and funny things that you want to say, but you just don't have the guts to say them. Like that could be my ministry into your life. So I'm just like, I'm keyed up. So I'm, you know, I'm talking to Wendy, but I'm like, you can believe this. And then she comes in and makes me realize that it's not just this guy that has the broken perspective. I did too. She said, yeah, but you know what? Praise God that that wasn't the middle of our windshield. Oh, thanks. Now I feel guilty, right? So now I'm the dad who didn't, you know, stop in the middle of, you know, the, of the car ride for prayer. But I, I realized in that moment, I said, you know what? You're, you know, she's right. I mean, that's the... So far, of everything that we've experienced, everything that I experienced through that whole process, she had the most accurate perspective. Thankfulness for God's protection, where I was somewhere between, yeah, that's good, but I was stressing over how much it was going to cost me, and then I dealt with that guy, and then he seemed to be a step farther away from me and my own kind of way to relate all of it. But many times in life, more than just a broken windshield, um, we do really come into moments where if we were able to step outside of ourselves to, uh, enough, we would be able to pretty clearly see that our perspective gets broken. Um, we, we see things in our lives and we really just get frustrated. We, we, we look at circumstances, we, we look at people in different relationships, and we're genuinely bothered because the expectations we have for our life just don't seem to match up with what we're dealing with. And for those of us who really are, are concreted into this idea that we're, that we're a follower of Jesus, that we're a Christian, that we are in God's family, we belong to Him, if we're honest, sometimes we almost wrestle with what seems like a, a, an additional frustration, or maybe we would say a deeper frustration, because somewhere inside of us, we just want to say, God, like, why are you just not working this out? especially, if we're honest, with minimum effort on our part. And doesn't that sound great? And it's in life when our perspective gets off that we tend to get down a road that we really didn't set out to in the beginning. 
Um, when we were coming back from Tennessee, I was born in the eastern part of Tennessee, um, and, and I, I, I love that area of the country, but I'm somebody who I've gone all in on smartphone technology, especially iPhones. And again, we pray for y'all that have Samsung devices, but um, when I put something in GPS, I'm trusting GPS. Are you the same way? And you ever end up on that road that you're like, GPS, why, why are you taking me down this road? You know, we're East Tennessee, and, and we're making curves, and all of a sudden, it's that moment where the center lines disappear. Not because they're doing work on the road. They stopped. They still had paint on the truck. They just didn't really think anybody was going to go any farther. Or if it did, it was just going to be one person. So the lines disappear. Then you start seeing gravel. Ooh. And then you hear banjos. And then I realized it was just, it was actually just Wendy messing with me on her phone. But I got down this road and I'm like, ah, this is not where I intended on going. And when our perspective gets broken in life, um, many times we end up at a place where we're like, hey, this does not look like the place I want to be. And it can be a dark place. Um, I, I don't say that because I think you're in a dark place. I'm saying that because I have been in the dark place. When I've looked around and I've been so frustrated and so angry about things that I all of a sudden realize that I have driven my own self where I'm at. It wasn't the Lord that led me there. Um, and, and, and it's hard initially seeing something from His perspective. But it's really necessary. Because that road isn't our destination. It's our location. And to get to where He does want us to be, we really got to figure out what is God saying here. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 today. Now, we were in this passage. Um, actually, I was in this passage just for a little bit um, with our kids on VBS on Friday. And we're not in Matthew chapter 9 for the same reasons uh, because it, it built into um, what we had for a curriculum for their VBS. Um, but this is a passage that's just been on my heart for this Sunday um, for, for a while now. And um, I'm just excited that we get to look into it. Um, but, I, but I do need to tell you something up front. And, 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 and I just want to be honest because I don't want you to get to the end of this message and go, there's another preacher that got me again. I, I do not have every answer for every why and everything that you have right now necessarily. I, I can't answer all questions in one service. I think you know that, but I think sometimes it's just worth saying it so we set an, a realistic expectation where we say, okay, God, what is the conversation that I need to be in with you as compared to, yep, in 30 minutes my life is going to be fixed? Because this is, this is the journey that we're on with God. This is the walk that we walk with Jesus. So today is, um, is, is a perspective, um, perspective set of steps. Okay, So Matthew chapter 9, uh, we're going to start in verse 2 um, because Matthew was not inspired to write chronologically. In other words, um, the events that happen as they're recorded in Matthew as God inspired him um, they didn't just happen exactly in order. Uh, like the other gospel writers, um, and, and it is important to know this, that God inspired them with a Jesus life message for specific audiences. We have the benefit of having all four together that we can take the whole picture. So we're going to begin in verse 2 because we don't really know if verse 1 
Um, because we, in, in, in our language, ling- linguists have divided it this way. We don't know that really verse 1 goes with verse 2 as much as it clearly seems to go with chapter 8. So for that reason, we're just going to start in verse 2. Just then some men brought to him, him being Jesus, a paralytic lying on a stretcher. Most people believe, because of what they study and and a couple of different words in here, that this is the same account as we read in two other Gospels where four friends brought their one paralytic friend to Jesus and they climbed to a rooftop, um, not as high as probably what we think of our roofs uh, because of what we know of their building structures, um, but these were the four guys that took time and tore the mud and the straw and all this material that was made to be a roof for them. Um, and many times when we read that, we, we hear a gospel message about us bringing people to the Lord, which is, which is great. But, but Matthew, um, at, at most of all his stops that he makes, is really intentional through inspiration to communicate very specifically something about Jesus and then wanting us to see ourselves through his lens instead of seeing ourselves um, as a standalone message. Um, so we don't have some of the details that others have, assuming this is the same person, whether it is or not, you'll see why they agree on that in just a moment. A paralytic person, based on their original language, is somebody who have not had use of their arms or legs. Um, so obviously, one of the greatest challenges that they have is mobility, getting places. Um, they were brought, he, he was brought. Uh, that would be a common thing for him. Everywhere he went, he, he arrived there through someone else's effort. Seeing their faith, this is the connection that why most people believe it's the same passage. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic. He's not commenting on what he said just about them. It says that in response to Jesus seeing this great faith, Jesus' heart was moved. Now he speaks to the person with specific need, and he says, Have courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Now, this would seem, if it is the same account, likely it is, very odd, right? You go through all this effort because this person that you do care so much about has got this obvious screaming in your face need. His arms and his legs would have been bent in around him. He didn't have the muscular strength to even stretch them out. So this was the physical need. This is the whole reason why you bring this guy to Jesus. And his his intro line, the, the big crescendo moment is, your sins are forgiven. And at this moment, there almost would seem probably on some level to kind of be a little bit of a thing with his friends maybe of, okay, that's great for his sins, but what about his legs? What about his arms? Jesus is clearly doing something, but it doesn't seem to quite be going along with maybe how they would have seen this situation going. At this moment, there seems to be now arriving a little bit of side conversation some thoughts that are going on inside heads and and some feelings in the hearts. At this, some of the scribes said to themselves, he is blaspheming. Some translations say that um, their comments and their hearts extended on to only God has a right to do this. After all, that's what blasphemy is. It's, It's saying something or doing something as if you're God, but you're not God. But here's the catch. The things that Jesus did on earth were to simply prove that he is God. 
And, and, and don't miss that because it, there's getting ready to be this conversation between healing physically and healing and forgiving spiritually. And, and Matthew, as he's inspired, is, there's this beautiful flow, as there many times is in Matthew, where there's this progression, this kind of lesser to greater. And, and earlier in Matthew, you see Jesus calming the storms, the physical waves and wind. Following that, he gets demons, exercises them out of people. So he, he shows that he has control over the physical things in this broken world that we live in. He says, I can control these things because as, as creator God, as Jesus was there as God in creation, they made it so they made the rules. So he says, I have control over all these things physically, then I have control spiritually. So the beautiful connection is, is that here he actually is going to end up healing physically but restoring and making right spiritually. And it's important that we see that, and they saw that because there's this beautiful but yet insane thing about God where he's never been shy or bashful about establishing proof of who he is. And it is everywhere. I, I told you, we talked to our kids this week about how God gets to make the rules. Before we could ever put it into words, there's gravity. What goes up must come down. We didn't know what it was called. We made a word up for it. But it was a law, it was a rule that God put on our planet. One of the kids in VBS goes, uh-uh, what about helium? I said, you know what? That's the beauty of God's insanity. He makes this one gas that when you put it inside the right density container, it and only it gets to rise up. I said, see, he wove the gospel even into the periodic table that only one could make a way, right? It's, a, it's all over creation. God gets to make the rules. He gets to decide how babies are born. He gets to decide what marriage is and what it isn't. He, he, he gets to decide how things grow. And from all this stuff, we take from it what He means about our lives, how we're supposed to grow, how our relationships with Him are supposed to go. He's never been bashful about showing proof. It's why Jesus did these physical miracles on earth. You say, what, what, what was he just, was this like the pre-show for the big event, the crucifixion and the resurrection? No, God methodically laid out these events to prove that he said it and then to show it so that people would know this was not just a good, well-developed, speaking-wise religious leader, that this was God's Son on earth. We're talking about the forgiveness of sin and eternity, right? This is not something that, that we could just say, hey, this person taught good lessons. This is our eternal souls. Jesus, because he, he shows that he's God and he does this so well, he, he could hear the side conversations. He could sense and know what was on their hearts because that's what Jesus' message was. It wasn't just the, the feelings that come across my lips, but it's, it's the root that they took in my heart that he's so concerned with. Perceiving their thoughts, Jesus said, why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? It, this would be one of my favorite Jesus superpowers. Like, it would be fun to walk on water because that's one of the ways that he showed that he gets to make the rules. Because we can't walk on water, we dive in, we sink. That's a cool little Jesus superpower, it would seem. But this is the one that I would probably use so wrongly just to mess with people. You ever walk in a room and you see people's face and you know they're thinking something about you? Like you just know. 
And you just want to go, you know what? Why did you just think that about me? And just to blow their mind, just to freak them out, right? Like just mess with your kids, mess with the people you work with. Like signal to somebody, like know what somebody on the road is thinking as they drive beside you. Come to a stop sign, roll down the window, and answer their question. Just freak them out. I would just, I, I would misuse his power so, so horribly. But he, he draws them in. He says, why are you thinking this stuff in your heart? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man, that's Jesus speaking about himself, has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he told the paralytic, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. So he got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were all struck and gave glory to God who had given such authority to men. There's a couple things out of this second part of the passage I really want to make sure that we, we, we get together this morning. Um, the, the first is this. Jesus is looking at a group of people um, and, and he's trying to help them catch up in the moment. So kind of put yourselves in this perspective. As Jesus asked them this question, what's easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up, take up your mat and walk? We may look at that through 2019 eyes and listen to it with 2019 years and go, okay, Jesus, you can forgive sin. I can't do that. But for these people, this is more like how they would have heard it. Is it easier, as Jesus asked, for someone to look at someone and go, you know what, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. God's going to take care of what's going on. Or to look at someone who's clearly handicapped, that clearly has physical limitations, and look at them with authority as it's going to happen and say, get up, collect your things, and go home. Walking. They've never walked before. So the whole crowd would have been in agreement. Yeah, I mean, it's easier to say everything's going to be okay. It's easier to offer some comforting words than it is to make a bold statement with the full trust and authority and, 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 and confidence that it's going to happen when it seems like it's not going to happen. What Jesus is really helping them see is, is this thing that many times we, we come to in life that we know is true. That, that God is, in fact, doing something. He's up to something. But can I just say that there are moments where it seems like almost God and I don't quite see things the same way? I almost want to say that we don't agree, but I'm a little bit too scared of God to say that. Where we almost have this moment where it's like, hang on a second, God, you must not be seeing what I'm seeing. And you know what? We're actually right. We're seeing it from our human perspective, and he actually sees it from God's perspective. We are right in that. So if you beat yourself up over thinking that thought, give that battle up. And sometimes we do. We just need to own this thing where we come to a place where we go, look, I, I just, I, I don't like this. If you're laying there on a stretcher and you just lowered your friend down, if you're in this environment going, Jesus, this isn't what I came to you for. Like what you seem to be doing isn't why we got here. Do something different. In fact, if we could just say it, Jesus, can you do what we want? And that's a tough one. Because then we have to really ask ourselves, am I able Am I able to really see my life fully 
from God's perspective? Or is that an area in life that God is calling me to simply trust and lean into Him and see what He thinks? It's tough. I've got a question for you. We know because we just read it. Jesus literally forgave him of his sins. When you go into the original language in this, he's not saying to this guy, hey, I forgive you for whatever bad thing you must have done that got you into this state. That's not what he's saying. The original language means that he is declaring forgiveness over all the sin up to this point in this human's life. It's a total forgiveness. In other words, he has removed what would stand between him and God. He did that before he healed him. Now we know he did both, but I got a question. If Jesus doesn't heal him, he doesn't make him to where he can walk and he can use his arms, did Jesus do enough? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. We don't do a lot of like back and forth. I know when I preach, I, I just I get so excited so I don't stop to let a lot of other people talk. Um, but, but help me out here for a second. Just in your honest opinion, if, if Jesus um, never healed him physically, did he do enough for him when he forgave him of his sins? Why? It's not temporal. He, he did a forever act. What else do you think? What did, he, what did he allow that person to be able to do? Heaven? Yeah, he removed what stood between him and God. He, he worked relationally on this man's behalf. Now, again, we're, we're looking back at the story. It's a much tougher thing to ask that same question when we look in the mirror of our own lives to say, if there's something, God, you've done, but it's not the thing that I wanted so bad, have you done enough? That's tough. Because in God acting and Him working, He's always doing something. He's always up to something. And Jesus even says, He did what was needed. He said, but so that you'll know that I have the authority to, to forgive these sins, I'll heal Him too. Jesus talks about the physical healing as if it's the simpler act. And in many ways, when you look at the physical things that we can know about our bodies compared to the eternal distance that we are from God even at birth, the physical healing does seem to be the easier task. But it's not the one that was absolutely, at the end of days, necessary to know God and be with God. And doesn't that stink about life? that what we want or what we think should happen so many times doesn't seem to be happening. And we're just, like, we're, we're trying to figure it out. We're looking at it and going, God, hang on a second. You, you, you wouldn't have given me this but then taken it away. Well, wait a second, God. You, there's no way you would have allowed me to get there and then I made those decisions. Like, you, you just surely wouldn't have done it. But it's like what Jesus says. God is always about His own glory. That's not egotistical. He's God. He's perfect. 
is what he's owed, is what he deserves. And God has written in the story of Jesus, you do realize that Jesus and what he would ultimately do was not just whispered in, but loudly declared over humanity even at the first sin in Genesis. Like this, is, this was known by God. This was always the plan. God is doing this amazing cycle of drawing me near Him so I can live for Him and point people to Him. And then that next person is then brought near and drawn near to God because they've seen the proof of God working. And then they draw near to Him. And then it just continues on. The, the glory of God is, is us knowing Him and worshiping Him and us leaning and trusting Him and spending eternity with Him and, and Him really having control of our lives. But then we fall and we go, God, if you've got control, why aren't you doing a better job? Maybe I'm the only one that ever asked that. Or at least I can just say it on behalf of a few people that really don't want to say it out loud. But that's where the moment is. That's where the moment is in this passage. What do we believe God for? And what and when and why do we evaluate God as harshly as we do sometimes? You know what I think it is for me? I want, honestly, genuinely, I want to be comfortable. I want a pretty easy life. I don't, I don't really want problems. I, I just don't. I want things what my definition of better is. And it's not that I don't trust God, that I don't love God, but for me and my beautiful ability to complain, I, I find myself on these roads where I'm looking at things very much through the lenses of my eyes and not as intently through the lenses of his eyes. As Jesus does this, the man jumps up. He goes home, and even the verbs change. He was brought in, but on his own power, given to him by Jesus, he went home under his own control. It says that the crowds, they saw this, they were awestruck. Now, awestruck um, is a combination of fear and wonder. Uh, it, it's seeing something that just wows you, but you're a little bit intimidated by it at the same time. Right? It, it's, it's the look that I see in people's eyes um, at weddings that I do. Like, they're in wonder, but they're a little scared about what they're getting ready to walk into. It's what parents look like when they have babies. It's what you look like when I say, all right, now we're going to pray over the offering. I mean, it's, it's, it's a common look on people's faces. And, and, and awestruck, though, in all seriousness, awestruck is addictive, right? Like, don't you like that feeling? That feeling of, I'm in wonder. I've seen it, and I've felt something. And, and, it, and it's so strong that I realize that I surely can't be the one that's in control. It's, it's an addictive feeling, but it's, it's a feeling. And when I first read this passage years ago, I thought that this last statement, and that they gave glory to God who had given such authority to me, and I thought, you know what? This statement is just another place in the Gospels where it just shows that people didn't get it. They just thought that, that, that Jesus was just doing some good stuff. He was saying some good stuff. He had this kind of supernatural ability to heal people. 
But, but when you study Matthew, when you study the, the intention that God put on his heart for this gospel, when you look at the experiences that Matthew had following the resurrection of Jesus, what's commonly believed by a lot of very reliable biblical scholars is this statement here, and they gave glory to God who had given such authority to men, was, was a statement actually about Matthew's realization of his experiences and seeing what happened in his life and in others' life through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave to them when he went back to heaven. That this statement basically says this, that there are those in the crowd when, when seeing and listening and, and, and noticing Jesus move, noticing God move, they are awestruck. They feel it. They saw it. It kind of gave them goosebumps. Um, they, they were in wonder. They realized it wasn't their control. They realized it surely must be God, and God must be a little bit intimidating because He has power that they don't have. They, they, they stood and left with a feeling. And then there are those who, unsatisfied by feelings began to walk in the same kind of authority that Jesus spoke with. They realized when he said that you will do these things, they took him literally because he did in fact mean it. And in that life, in that walk, Matthew here is saying, to the glory of God, for some reason he's even letting us live like this too. But for Matthew to get to there, for Matthew to get to there, he had to come to terms with what his perspectives were about life. What his perspectives were. See, some of the perspectives that we really wrestle with in church are, are the things that we do. When is something done that honestly just gives a person some attention? And when is something done that gives true attention and glory and credit to God? And in the American church, we wrestle with this. Because it's so comfortable and so easy. Everything is always there and provided and in the bank account and it's comfortable and it's cushioned and it's all these things. And, 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 and we do want those things and they leak into our hearts, even into our worship, into our service. And, and we get close enough to be in awe and even sometimes awestruck. We have a moment that strikes us. But we... we we come short of the deeper steps that are, this is the authority that God calls us to live in. That even with our words, you realize Jesus didn't do anything? Like Jesus didn't wave the coat and smack somebody with it. He didn't just, he didn't hit them with, you know, anything that he threw at them. He just simply spoke. Because again, this was about people understanding that this was the Son of God. And this is exactly how the earth came into form. So he just spoke with such authority, it just happened. And even in our lives in that, you know, I, I realize it, I've learned the lesson a lot of different times that when I get into a place and I realize, you know what, my language, my words, my conversations are showing the sign that I've got a broken perspective because of the way I'm talking and the words that I'm using. I forget and I don't walk in this thing where the Holy Spirit gives me authority with my words to speak life into that situation instead, to speak forgiveness and speak healing into it instead. And I choose to walk the path that I walk. Creative, authoritative, all-powerful Jesus. He does not say that I have called you to drag you. He says, I have called you to follow me.
So he gives us the choice of which way do we go. And this is a broken world, guys, ladies. This is a broken world. Sin has messed it up in a lot of different forms. We have diseases on this planet because of sin. It's an ultimate part of the fall. We have relationship struggles because of sin. Uh, we, we have everything that we deal with because of sin. God calls it to be out of us. He wants to forgive it. But you know what he even says in Isaiah 43? He speaks over Isaiah. He says, I, I forgive sin for my sake. You know why I want God to forgive my sin? If I'm, if I'm this guy in this story and he does nothing else, you know what I want, why I want God to forgive my sin? I don't want to feel guilty anymore. I don't like feeling guilty. I like to feel good about what I do. I've done stuff that's totally wrong, and I wish I could feel good about it. I don't like feeling guilty. But God says, that's not why I forgive sin. I forgive sin because I can't have it near me. And for my sake, I do it in your life so that others will believe I'll do it for them too. And ultimately, as these people gather, they worship me. They give me credit for who I am, and they see me work, and I'm able to work through them. And there's moments in life where we have to step back out of ourselves, and we have to really genuinely decide some big decision perspective kind of decisions. As in, if God doesn't do this, if he does do this, will I say that it's enough? Will I trust it to be what it needs to be? If God works in me relationally, but doesn't fix this other thing that I've got going on, will that be enough? Will I live and will I speak that to be enough? Because if God does it my way, then that means he serves me. And he doesn't serve me. I serve him. So in life, where will I stand? What will I submit to? What will be my perspective on what life, as I say, should be or shouldn't be? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes for a second? We came out of a few weeks where we talked some relational things um, in a series that we just finished. And, and this passage has, has really been on my heart because I believe that, that we are, as individuals, and even as a body of Christ, there is much room for us to walk that is uncharted territory. I believe there are many steps that individually we can take, and I believe there's a lot of steps as a church body that we can take. And I, I, I'm not talking about just organizationally. There's plenty to work on there. But I'm talking about just real moment to moment, seeing what God will do, trusting in what He's done, and walking faithfully with Him, and in authority speaking what is to be done. But we don't get there unless we really ask ourselves some questions. without looking at our lives and saying, okay, God, am I living frustrated because I just can't seem to let go of the thing that I want you to do the way I want you to do it? And that's, that's holding me back. That's keeping me from walking in the freedom and the liberty that you call me to. It comes through this, this process of time with the Lord, talking with Him, meditating on what He says, and deciding, what do I believe? What do I believe for my life? When I say, what do I believe? What do I trust? What do I lean into and live on? As we have a few moments 
at the end of the service, I want to do something a little bit differently. And it will be different. But I want to leave you with this thought. Don't don't continue to live trusting in the perspective that you have. Because if that perspective is in any way broken, the cracks will continue to spread and ultimately will not be able to hold the weight of your life. Trust in the truth of God's Word, the leading of His Spirit, the path that He is directing you towards. Because if your life is going to lean in and be supported and held up and directed, that decision will make all the difference. If you don't know that you have a relationship with God through His Son Jesus in the way that He provided and offered that, we'd love to have a conversation with you today how you can begin that relationship. But I want us to have some other kinds of conversations. So as we come to this point in service, if... um, if y'all wouldn't mind bringing the lights back up just a little bit, if you wouldn't mind looking ahead. Um, we did this in the early service, um, and we've got a little bit bigger crowd in here, uh, so that just means you'll just need to move a little bit less. Um, and I want to tell you on the outset, if you're visiting, this is a little bit too far outside your box, that's totally okay. You can just stay seated where you are, it's, it's fine. But if you would not mind engaging just a little bit deeper, just for a moment, um, in just a second, what I'm going to ask you to do is, is, it can be with people that you know well, or it can be people that you, you've never seen before. I'd like for you to um, just introduce yourself to someone, if you don't know them, and give them something that they can pray for for you. Maybe a decision you've got in life, it may be something you have coming up this week. Um, I, I know we don't normally do this, but you ever kind of just gone through life and realize there's just certain things you just don't take time to do? So we're just going to kind of take time to do something. Um, I would like for you to share something. Give someone some something to pray about for you this week. If you know them, if you feel comfortable, share real details, even if it's a little bit um, deeper than just casual. Share that with them. And if somebody in that group would be bold enough, um, please pray now while we have the moments here together. Uh, if no one prays, we're still going to pray all together. But, but go one more step, as I have to remind myself many times, as the introvert of introverts, go one more step um, beyond what is completely comfortable uh, because that's usually the ground that God's able to... Um, do something with in that moment and he already actually has cultivated um, ahead of time for you. Um, so if you would and I'm, I'm going to make this real simple. If, if you would go ahead and stand to your feet and I'm going I'm to say three, two, one, go and then that's, that's, your, that's your sign. That's your moment. That's your, that's your instruction. You ready? Three, two, one, go. If you will find those folks, um, reposition yourself, have a conversation, talk to somebody that's near you. We'll be closing out the service in just a minute.